0: And he said, truth is a person. And people have to encounter the one who is the way, truth, and life. And it's only in that personal encounter that hearts are going to be transformed.
1: Exactly. Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane, and this is the Bishop and Vickers. As I've mentioned, the Vickers are away, but we are fortunate to have with us as our guest today Father Bill Watson. Uh, Father Watson is a Jesuit of the province of now the joint Oregon and California province, and um, Father Watson is known to many in the uh, community in the Northwest, and it's a great opportunity for us, with his busy schedule, to have this opportunity to speak to him. So. Bill, welcome. And, uh, Thank you, Bishop Daly. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about, uh, again, you, I understand we've talked, you're a native, but for our listening audience, a little bit of your, your background.
0: Uh, my family moved to Spokane when I was five. Uh, parents were born and raised in Portland. I was born in Eugene, um, but I did all of grade school and high school here in Spokane. So I was at Our Lady of Fatima for uh, grade school, and then went to Gonzaga Prep, and I entered the Jesuits in 1973. Uh, I was the last class to enter the old novitiate out at Sheridan, Oregon. Okay. And then in January, my first year, we moved into Holy Child Academy in Portland, where my mom had gone to high school. Mm. Uh, My parents were married across the street at uh, St. Rose Parish. Uh, I was um, in the novitiate, came to Gonzaga for philosophy, finished philosophy at Seattle University. My first year of regency was at Seattle University, three years at Jesuit High in Portland, Oregon off to Weston uh, in Boston for theology, and then when I finished that, I was, uh, went to Georgetown University where I was for 12 years and built what was considered the largest retreat program in the country. A sabbatical at Fordham University after that, and that's when Father Spitzer was one year into Gonzaga, and he asked me to come out and be the first vice president for mission. And how long did you do that for? I was there for almost five years, and I finished in 2004. Then I became Provincial Assistant for International Ministries for the Oregon Province at that time, Uh, developed our network with the Jesuits in Columbia, in South America, Mm -hmm. got my doctorate in ministry at Catholic at that time, uh, and finished my doctorate, and I started this institute, which you can talk about in the second segment, uh, in 2011.
1: So again, you're well-known to, to the community, and, and I mentioned uh, before we began recording that I met uh, Father uh, Watson when I was the vocation director of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and Father Connell was the rector of Bishop White and introduced me, and I encouraged a number of our young students from the high school to, to go to Gonzaga, and um, that was a great experience during your time.
0: When I was vice president at Gonzaga, uh, Monsignor Jim Ribble used to have me come and preach uh, at some of the Christmas masses, and he always listed me as the very Reverend William <laughs> M. Watson. So he kind of upgraded my... My, uh, my
1: status because father connell gave that to himself very reverent <laughs> right. and i had to take that back uh, and uh but um so we met uh last week or a couple of weeks ago we were at the napa institute in uh, california and um uh, our executive producer mary richards was there and uh but father watson and i met and um he gave a talk and it was entitled uh diversity's Endgame." you want could you speak to that because that word diversity is thrown around so much today but what did, I know you, with your clarity, what, what, did, what did that uh, talk give to the audience there in Knapp Institute?
0: I gave them a 45-minute talk that was condensed into bullet points, and I'll try to, I'll try to condense it even more. Sure. Uh, I started noticing the use of the word diversity when I was at Georgetown University in the 1980s, and it was being misused in terms of the way that the, the Catholic tradition would understand it. So let me just kind of uh, sure. be clear here. Uh, diversity is a good and holy thing that God created in the cosmos so uh, the cosmos you know reflects as human persons do the image of the Trinity three distinct persons united uh, by love human persons are made in that image and likeness and prior to the original sin if you can imagine everything having its own unique beauty and identity but united Um, by the love and the power of God Mm -hmm. and that was the kind of the image in the garden with the uh, the naming of the plants and the animals at the time of the original sin then when the human person turns to self instead of God as the originator of all truth things uh, break apart and I said in my talk at the Napa Institute it was at that point that evolution has now two trajectories so there's the evolution of what I call the rise of the autonomous self, mm-hmm. the person separated from God, wanting to define his or her own views of truth, reality, uh, the human person, the cosmos, um, belief. Uh, and then there was the reinsertion back into human history through the people of Israel, the idea that God is one and return with all of your heart. So the point that I wanted to make at the Napa Institute was we're kind of at this kind of cultural point kind of a flashpoint, where we have people using the word diversity, which does not necessarily mean unity and diversity, because there's only one way you get unity and diversity, which is holy, is when all the different diverse persons and elements have some orientation back to truth and to God. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes beauty in diversity, when there's a unity of people and an agreement on moral tradition, truth, uh, objective reality. Uh, and so we, we have that, and then we have people using the word diversity to mean just anything uh, with kind of unhinged or unconnected from any type of moral truth or reality that we would consider authentic to the Catholic tradition, Judeo-Christian
1: tradition. Exactly, and I think uh, what Father Watson's bringing up is so crucial because you see this, just one area, the circles of education, how often that term diversity is used with an agenda not rooted in a desire for the truth. And in fact, this diversity becomes a way uh, of not with a goal of unity, but in fact, is a way to further divide um, a society increasingly fractured. Um, With um, obviously coming to this point, have when the Napa Institute, did you find a receptivity to, to that message? Cause this is kind of a fresh look at what diversity means, a term that is thrown around so often right. without the clarity that you offer. Right. Um, what type of the, did we ever able to, uh, talk to the audience at all or take questions or I know that part of the Napa Institute's has a great focus on the meals that are shared in the conversations. <laughs> right. Um, what was the, what was the, uh, the feedback on it or the the opportunity
0: I had the first breakout session of the Institute Uh, EWTN uh, records all all of the Napa Institute main plenary sessions Mm -hmm. and then they record a certain number of the breakout sessions I was the very first breakout session Mm -hmm. to get recorded by EWTN so that may get hosted on their platform but everyone who was at the Institute will get a copy of that talk we had a pretty good turnout for an 8 o'clock morning presentation, and I think people were riveted by the presentation. Everybody knows that there's a challenge out there, and I just tried to find kind of a, a way for them to be able to discuss it in an intelligent way with people that they may agree with or disagree
1: with. What um, what have you noticed in, in you know your ministry? As you said, you developed this program of retreats at uh, at Georgetown, and you came to Gonzaga University, and now your work, which we'll talk about in the second segment on... On sacred uh, space, but what um, what have you seen changed uh, in you know your years of priesthood? I mean, this understanding of diversity. You've given us an overview, but can you give us specifically where those challenges you've seen and and maybe the um, the disunity that has occurred? Um, anything as far as um, uh, both in the sure. university setting or the uh, your work with parishes? and um, Sure. The, Let
0: me tell you one of my early experiences where this really came into focus, and it was when I was at Georgetown University and a Jesuit brother friend of mine, and we were talking about the focus and the orientation of the university as a university Jesuit and Catholic. And he made the point, he said, everybody at Georgetown has an equal voice in the orientation and direction of the institution, even if they are atheist and do not believe in God. And that was kind of uh, uh, a—it woke me up, and that was the first time I was hearing uh, that ideologies and belief structures and systems separate from the Judeo-Christian tradition were being elevated to the same level Mm. by people even in my own community. And so that's why I started thinking about the issue of diversity. And I've been thinking about this for 30 years and seeing kind of the evolution of how the idea of diversity, without usually any discussion of unity in diversity, uh, it's become its own religion and its own ideology, and that everything is being kind of determined by a secular notion of diversity, and institutions kind of achieve a hallmark of uh, of glory by being more diverse. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we're any different than well, let's say University of Washington or something like that, who also you know uh, champion
1: diversity. So. Okay. Without, to me, a clear direction of seeking the truth. Because, right. you, as you know, in the in educational circles, there is this, this belief that uh, how can anyone espouse a truth? Right. Um, and yet, when you look at why university, Catholic universities were founded, why the society it was to lead us to a truth. Right. And, um, and, and, and yeah. the
0: university was born within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just make this point so that people uh, are clear. Diversity of culture, of background, uh, race, uh, experience, all those are goods. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what you need in order to make them have traction and benefit to a Catholic institution is that the people from all those diverse backgrounds really need to uh, assent to a higher truth, an objective truth, the moral truth of the church in order for that diversity then to uh, give birth to something that's going to be beautiful for the church and evangelization.
1: And that's probably what we're seeing today is, is absent. Right, um, And and we would expect and hope that in the Catholic university, which transcends because so many of them are several centuries older, as you said, the whole concept right. of the university with its roots in the church. Um, is there a way that we can bring back, uh, and maybe bringing back it sounds too nostalgic, but can we lead um, our institutions of higher learning and even our, our, our society parishes to um, reestablish, I think, what this desire for truth is through diversity? Is that possible or just smaller circles I mean
0: well, I, well one of the things I've done uh, this uh, talk was several weeks ago at the Napa Institute uh, uh, on Wednesday in mid-August the McGrath Institute at Notre Dame their parish life journal mm-hmm. is going to be publishing art, an article of mine called hope amidst kind of uh, cultures collapse mm-hmm. and it's a clarification of the, the rules of Ignatius's discernment and how they need to be applied if they're going to kind of, uh, uh, if discernment is gonna be used in a way that is within the Catholic and within the Ignatian tradition. So I'm hoping that that that, that article can be a, a tool for priests, for bishops, for principals to examine their own uh, uh, institutions to see are we, uh, can we use these principles now to kind of clarify where we are and what we might do in the future. So. I'm, I'm really excited about that article coming out, and I'll send you a link to that Please. when it does. Please, and I
1: think for our listening audience, uh, we'll make sure that, that you can you can see that. And um, as Father Watson said, the EWTN uh, taped uh, or recorded, excuse yeah, me. the they videotaped, uh, videotaped it. So, videotaped, so, right. so that would will uh, be made available, at least segments of it from the NAP Institute. Right. We, um, we're going to take a break when we come back. I'm going to ask uh, Father Watson to talk about um, Something he he has been working on that is a great contribution, uh, not just to the Church in the United States, but the, the Universal Church. Welcome back. It's uh, Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane, and joining me is Father Bill Watson. Father Watson is a Jesuit uh, from the Western Pro. What do we call in the two provinces?
0: Uh, it's the, the official kind of public name is Jesuits West. So.
1: And this was the uh, joint uh, merger between the province of the Oregon Province and California.
0: And we had been one at one time, and they separated in like the 1930s, mm-hmm. I think.
1: So Father Watson uh, is a man of great variety of experience, uh, uh, of great service to, to the church, not just the church uh, in the West or in the United States, but the universal church. And a program he's been working on, and I'm going to ask Father to talk a little bit more, is the Sacred Story Institute. Um, tell us about that uh, for our listening audience.
0: Well, uh, let me uh, give you a, a, a quick overview of the origins of my idea for it. So I'm a Jesuit scholastic. I want to go. I entered to be a missionary in Africa. Uh, I only got to Georgetown, but my <laughs> my African Jesuit friends said they need more to missionaries than, than Africa did. Uh, but I was assigned as a regent to Jesuit high school uh, as director of campus ministry and also as a theology instructor. Was that, that would be in the 80s? In, in the 1970s. Okay. Uh, I was the of the 58 high schools that we had I was the only scholastic who was ahead of campus ministry mm. and I inherited a program that had had nine directors in 11 years not a single uh, initiative had had survived any of my predecessors everybody had a bitter taste in their mouth about it so my vision for ministry and ignatian program development happened when I was in my early 20s at mm. Jesuit High and I felt that I had a moral obligation to leave something behind at that school that would survive me and transform that school. That program, that junior encounter program, turned 40 last year, and it really did transform the, the school at, at a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. So I became very interested in how do you create a, a durable Ignatian platform uh, with manuals and things like that. So when I was appointed uh, as uh, a chaplain at Georgetown, I told them I wanted to do retreats I wasn't appointed as director of retreats but I said I want to do retreats and they said well retreats don't work at Georgetown so I kept my mouth quiet and at the end of 12 years I had my own suite of offices a staff of six of a half a million dollar budget and we were running programs for 1,100 people a year and all of those programs have survived uh, and and they do great things. so but when I was there I thought I wanna do something more. It said Ignatius Majus, you know, I I don't wanna just do retreats for people within an institutional setting. I wanted to kind of unlock the power of Ignatian spirituality for grade schools and parishes and plug and play programs. So the idea for this institute, uh, which was actually formally inaugurated in uh, January of 2012, started in the early 90s when I was at Georgetown thinking about the examination of conscience as a tool that could be used as a post-retreat experience for people. And I had rediscovered its use in my own life during a Jesuit time of formation you call tertianship. I was in Northern Ireland, and I realized that I had let this critical spiritual discipline lapse in my life for about six years. Uh, And I rediscovered it by the grace of God, and I built a whole program at Georgetown around teaching people this uh, discipline. Because what I found, people can have a wonderful, powerful retreat experience, but then they go back into the push and pull of their everyday life, mm-hmm. and everything falls apart. And this is where I think Ignatian was, Ignatius was so strategic and brilliant in terms of how God used him to develop this particular version of the examination of conscience. It's very strategic, and it's sustainable because it's 15 minutes a day. So I decided I wanted to build an institute around Ignatian resources that would have at its heart uh, the examination of conscience. So the programs that we've been building uh, since 2012, I've got multiple books. They can go to sacredstory.net and look at our website. But we started off with programs for adults, uh, and then I did a pre-K through eighth grade platform Mm. that we researched for two years i'm half researched, so everything is research driven i you know people come to our site i i evaluate everything before any programs are published and we worked with catechetical specialists grade school teachers across the country on uh test marketing this program it's a post-recess uh opportunity for children to quiet down and to learn at a very very young age the difference between consolation and desolation and for the little kids i say Jesus, help me slow down and hear you in my heart. Help me know what made me joyful today and what made me sad. Hmm. So children are very transparent to the divine. And I wanted to teach them at a very young age how to develop this intuitive spiritual tool. So by the time they reach puberty, they would have a spiritual resource that would guide them in their daily life. So last month, we just are finished our youth and young adult platform called True Heart, which took four years of research in both in Latin America and North America. It's being translated into Spanish now, but it's a, it's a 10-week program. It could be used by sophomores in high school to people up to the age of 30, but it's a discernment platform to help people uh, commit their life to Christ, not necessarily to find their specific vocation, but to find a methodology of daily prayer and discernment and reflection where they can figure out who they are and what they really want. And I call that true heart a way to selflessness. And I counter uh, counterpoise uh, self-centeredness with selflessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very, very hopeful for that program. I'm very excited about it.
1: What, um, back to you? you know, when you were at uh, Joshua High Portland, uh, and the program you started continuing on, on the website uh, for um, uh, the sacred uh, space or a, sacred, a sacred story, story that um, you make there's reference to the to the program. And there's right. all sorts of uh, testimonies from people of different ages, different backgrounds on what um, what this program has has done for me. And I think it's it's less built in a, of a program than it really is. A personal conversion, you might say, right. I, because when we think of programs, the programmatic church, if there's anything that's benefited the church has been the reduction in available financial resources. And maybe we've less sure. about program and more about the, the personal conversion. I noticed that um, one of the books you have is, is for priests. Right. Can you give a little background on the origin of that?
0: Well, it's it's a it's a, a special version of our adult platform mm-hmm. called Forty Weeks in Ignatian Path to Christ. But we brought about uh, sixteen diocesan priests through the program. I worked with a um, a, a lay Catholic psychologist, Bob shoots yes. uh, out of Florida. Uh, he has his own specialty; he does a lot of healing ministry with priests. He and his staff had done the forty week program, so he's very very big on it. And our what we're developing is very compatible. So we decided to team up bring some diocesan priests through the program, again, research-driven. So I sent them you know, uh, questions. They mm-hmm. filled out a survey. I gave all the data to Bob Schutz, and then he wrote a unique reflection that we packaged in a special edition of this book at the end of each of the weeks of the 40 weeks. But let me go back to the yeah. issue of diversity. Uh, I, I discovered when I was in the univer- working in the university world that I could win an article on points of fact but I also realized it did nothing to change the heart of the other person. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized that the intellectual kind of superstructures that that people hold are really rooted in human experiences and sometimes a woundedness in early life. And so the methodology of Ignatius and the methodology of the Sacred Story Institute doesn't try to convince uh, with logic and catechetics, but I try to help people find a pathway to hear God in their life, because it's the individual heart connecting to the heart mm-hmm. of Christ that's going to change people, heal them, and then have them kind of change their intellectual framework. So it's all about the encounter. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this phrase of Pope Francis, I think it was like in a second or third month, where they were <clears throat> talking about truth. And he said, truth is a person and people have to encounter the one who is the way, truth, and life. And it's only in that personal encounter that hearts are going to be transformed. Exactly.
1: For a listening audience um, in Spokane, certainly with the, the legacy of the Jesuit order as, as missionaries here in the university and, and the parishes, how would, to for the person who's unfamiliar, maybe who's grown up in, in a Dominican parish or they only know the Franciscans, how would you uh, define... Uh, Ignatian spirituality. What is Ignatian spirituality? Today, when we're recording this program, it happens to be the feast of Saint Dominic. But um, how how would you say, Father Watson, that Ignatian spirituality its um, its impact, its its basic message, its its uh, role that it plays in in uh, a diversity in spiritualities available for our Catholic people and beyond?
0: Well. I like to uh, describe Ignatian spirituality not so much as Ignatian but as God using Ignatius's life history, his dysfunction and his conversion as a way to kind of unlock uh, a gospel form of encounter with Christ. Mm -hmm. So I don't see it so much as Ignatius but as God using him uh, and this is why I think Ignatian spirituality is so universal and is appropriated by so many even Protestant traditions because it really does focus back on the person of Christ and that personal encounter. And Ignatius is, uh, was given gifts of discernment that he taught other people. But this is, I like to make this point too, it's very, very important. The, uh, the success of the Jesuits in their early history didn't come from bringing people through the spiritual exercises. It came from Jesuits teaching lay people Ignatius' method of examination of conscience and encouraging frequent confession in an era where uh, uh, people were terrified of going to hell, a kind of a Jansenistic period of spirituality. So it's those two disciplines that really made the Jesuits famous, the examine Mm -hmm. and frequent confession. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to promote, teach people how to really make a confession, understand their life, and then to use that daily discipline of the examine Uh, as their tool for kind of tracking their progress on the Christian journey.
1: In Jesuit parishes or um, in in the Jesuit high schools, for example, would those students uh, be taught in their theology classes about the examination of conscience as a central part of of one's spirituality and relationship encountering with Christ? I think
0: it's one of the most widely used uh, tools in Jesuit high schools worldwide. And there's a platform called Educate Magis, Educate for the Magis, which is a global Jesuit high school platform, which actually has showcased our
1: program, our Mm -hmm. True Heart
0: program for young adults. So yes, Mm -hmm. it's very, very powerful tool.
1: What are your um, uh, hopes, what's next uh, for uh, Sacred Story? Uh,
0: We've spent eight years developing uh, all these different platforms, and now I am going to be working with a number of people about how to pull it all together and uh, to uh, provide an evangelization platform for parishes and schools, that was not going to be uh, in competition with something like Amazing Parish mm-hmm. or, or Bishop Barron's A Word on Fire Institute, but to provide another uh, specific way that parishes can find a pathway to transformation, reformation, and evangelization.
1: Yeah, well, we look forward to that. And uh, again, for our listening audience, uh, SacredStory.net. If uh, you see that. Uh, Get on and, and read it, and you'll find these uh, resources that uh, Father Bill Watson, again, it's a great service, uh, not just to the church here in the United States, but to the universal church. And we thank him for his time, and let's be him of our prayers. Thank you, Thank you, you Bishop.
0: Nice to meet you.